0: Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore
1: the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for continuously tuning into this show. I've been doing this show for over six years, and now we have crossed 600 episodes. And the original idea was just to talk to really smart people who were doing cool things because it was like my own little personal university. And along the way, thousands of you have come along to tune into these shows uh, because you get inspired by the guests. And I really do believe that when we talk to smart people, Who are shaking things up and making waves, uh, we're all gonna learn something along the way. And, And I think today's episode is gonna be one of those episodes. Now, before we get started, I have to thank the first sponsor of this episode. So, this episode is brought to you by Spectrum Reach. At Spectrum Reach, they know three things better than anyone they know how to harness the power of multi screen advertising. They know how to, have, how to offer a simplified one-stop shop destination for marketing solutions. And they know what makes our cities and towns tick because they are our neighbors. They're local. Hey, they are the most trusted media partner in America. And you can get started by visiting SpectrumReach.com. So today we're going to go uh, into the world a little bit of of a little science. We've got a PhD here with us. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, a packaging of biological drugs. That means like vials and syringes. But we have the chief the chief scientist at SIO two materials uh, material science with us today, and that is Chris Weikert. Hey, Chris, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you, Tom. And it's SIO2 material science. Is that
0: right? It is. Yes, that's correct.
1: Just wanted to make sure I said it correctly. Uh, I don't think we've ever had a chief scientist on the making waves at sea level. That's a that's a different sea than I've used. Uh, Tell me a little bit about what a chief scientist does.
0: Yes, uh, Tom, thank you again. Um, Basically, my my day to day responsibilities are to help customers understand our, our technology and our products and why uh, they should adopt it Uh, most drugs today uh, in in particular biologic drugs are packaged in in glass and um, we bring a a whole new uh, container to the marketplace that's safer uh, it's uh, a a better packaging solution to store the drug and uh, at the end of the day the the package itself does not alter or change the drug so that at the end of the day when the patient gets the the injection um that uh, they can be assured that the pack doesn't interfere with that so basically what i do is uh is help our existing customers um you know further understand what they're buying and then uh hopefully uh, get new customers to adopt the technology and uh then i also deal with the regulatory authorities for approvals um and then i also go to conferences and uh and share about our our company and our great products
1: so let's talk a little bit about the company and the and the great products. I, d- I don't know anything about y'all, so uh, probably my audience doesn't either. And in fact, material sciences and and packaging for drugs probably hadn't crossed my mind until we set up this interview. So, tell me a little bit about uh, SiO two.
0: Yeah. So uh, the company was formed uh, ten years ago, and uh, the the whole genesis for the company was uh, was started from our owner Bobby Abrams. And he's had a long track record of developing specialty packaging in a, in a lot of different fields. Um, and this was the newest. And he uh, he identified that there were some real problems with glass packaging on the market. And um, we all know glass to be uh, a brittle material. It breaks easily. Um, and uh, it also uh, is not an inert material, which most people may not think uh, about. It, it's, it is a material that does actually uh, interact with the materials uh, that are inside of it. So the content, so drugs in particular, not to mention the, the drugs that are on the markets today are, are far more complicated and, and a lot more, uh, um, how should I say, special or needy uh, compared to days of, of, of before. And uh, so you've probably seen commercials for things like uh, Enbrel and Humira. These drugs are, are very complex proteins and uh And they they have special requirements that that glass just simply doesn't provide. So what we've done is we've developed a a hybrid uh, container that combines the best of plastic and glass in the same container. And uh, we've done that by uh, basically molding a a, a vial or syringe or a cartridge out of a a very uh, high performance polymer. And then we deposit a very, very thin layer of glass on the inside of that container. And uh, basically what you get is an unbreakable container with uh, a highly inert coating on the inside that preserves that drug for up until the patient gets it. And uh, that's, that's essentially what we do day to day.
1: So that's interesting. I never would have thought that glass had interactive properties when it came to the, the chemicals that might be inside of that. I, would, uh, I mean, being a layman, my thought would have glass would have been like totally unreactive to everything i didn't i didn't know that
0: yeah it turns out that glass uh albeit it does is, is derived from sand and uh sand is is uh is, has a lot of cats and dogs in it it uh, has a lot of uh, components that uh that that are basically uh leachables what we in our world we call them leachables and these are things that can come out of the glass leach into or migrate into the drug formulation and can cause problems. Um, And uh, not only that, but uh, the the glass itself, uh, depending on the formulation of the drug product, can can actually change the surface of the glass and you get particles or debris that that can contaminate the drug product as well. So we basically eliminate all of these problems that are associated with glass.
1: So I call the show making waves at sea level. So clearly you guys are making some waves in the packaging world for uh, biological drugs. So let, let's talk about that. I mean, you can't just say, hey, I've invented a new way to do it. And the FDA goes, cool, awesome. Uh, what is that like when you introduce something new compared to at least, you know, dozens of years, you know, decades of it being done one way? What, what layers of complexity came with introducing something new?
0: Yeah, uh, there's a, there's several things. Um, one is if you if you basically take our vial and set it next to a glass vial, they almost look identical. I mean, you'd be hard pressed to tell the difference. They they look nearly the same, and and so you'd you'd say well that one certainly doesn't look like glass, um, or, or or does it? Well, it, in fact, ours is made out of a polymer that looks a lot like glass, and then the coating is so thin it's about a thousand times thinner than a human hair. So you can't see it. And so one of the challenges to our customers is convincing them there is indeed a coating on there that provides all these wonderful benefits to the packaging. And so we've had to conduct an entire battery of testing uh, that you wouldn't ordinarily have to do with, you know, say you, you just change glass to make it better. Um, you know, people people maybe were more, more receptive to that so this is so different and new. We've had to basically, um, you know, conduct tests that uh, that showcase how wonderful it is. And I call those tests our gorilla tests because they're they're very abusive. So everything from um, from from basically trying to crush the vial, um, which it's highly tolerant to uh, mechanical abuse, putting chemicals in it that are very very corrosive, um, and the coatings with, can withstand that. And then taking it through a whole uh, uh, you know, range of, of temperatures down to very, very cold temperatures to very, very warm temperatures and showing, again, really just the robustness of that container.
1: So I, I love the example of the gorilla test because I'm old enough to remember that commercial from like the 1970s uh, where yes. they gave the gorilla the suitcases to prove that, that the suitcases would stand up no matter what the gorilla did to them. Is that what you meant by gorilla test?
0: That's that's exactly right, really just subjecting them to a range of abuses that you wouldn't ordinarily see to really kind of just, again, to showcase how tough these containers are, um, and, and also that they, uh, again, don't interact with the drug product.
1: So you have a PhD in chemical engineering, and as I looked at your resume kind of before you got started, you know, you were like a research specialist at Dow Chemical. Uh, you know, your background was in doing that. And, and yet now, you know, you've developed this product, but it sounds like a lot of what you do is marketing the product. How does someone with a with a with a research background end up being the person who is out there trying to sell customers and the FDA on, on why this is so good? Has, has your job shifted?
0: Yeah, it has indeed, uh, Tom. When I was at Dow, it's, that's really where I honed my, my, my skills as a chemical engineer. I worked on uh, a variety of different products, everything from solar cell encapsulation to food packaging uh, to building construction materials. It's basically, my job was to either enhance uh, existing products for Dow or develop new materials for new products for Dow. The one thing i never worked in actually was in uh, medical devices or medical packaging which is what we do here at the company that i currently work <laughs> at and um so so i i i'm obviously very familiar with uh, material science and how to develop new products and uh i over the years i've, I've honed my skills also with interacting with customers because that is an essential part of the job and i've worked hand in hand with uh with our technical services folks and our commercial folks and uh, I think you, you basically need to have sort of a two in a box approach where you have a commercial person and a technical person at these meetings with customers um, and uh, one to explain the technology um, and, and to, to explain it at a level that people can understand. Uh, and then if you have you know highly technical folks that are in the room that you can dive down very deep into the technology as well. So I, I I have sort of that breadth and I've learned that over the years at Dow as well as at SCO2 material science.
1: So I do a lot of uh, sort of career coaching and speaking to people on the technical side, maybe not, you know, research PhDs, but a lot of you know lawyers, accountants, engineers, et cetera. And one of the things I always talk to people about is the importance of those communication skills. And you don't see that a lot. I mean, when I think, oh, look, you know, a, a researcher with a, you know, uh, a PhD in chemical engineering. I wouldn't say that along your career path, they said, by the way, people skills, super important in what you're doing. How did you bridge that?
0: Yeah. So at Dow Chemical, when I used to work there, you could take what's called a technical track or um, a scientific managerial track. And so uh, as I progressed through Dow, I was there for about 12 years I transitioned into a more of a managerial type track job um, where I was managing uh, R&D projects for the company. And so, I had a number of people report to me, both in the U.S. and also in Europe. Um, So, you obviously have to pick up and, and learn different skills for that. As you said, communication is an essential part of that role. And I think that really helped me transition to SAO2 material science um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was a good opportunity for me because not only could I take advantage of skills I'd learned technically at Dow, but also uh, the managerial uh, role that I had. Because when I came to SEO2, uh, I was employee number five. I, mean, I was very, very uh, uh, new and, and at the very beginning of the company. And so I had to build a team um and a, a highly technical competent team that we could uh, develop that product so we we basically spent the first four years of the company developing a product showing that we uh could actually do what we intend and, and to demonstrate that to our customers and then the next four or so years was basically to scale that up and to uh mass produce those vials and, uh, so I picked up a number of skills along the way to get to where I am today. That, that's for sure. And, and I have a lot of, uh, people that I credit, uh, to help me with that as well.
1: So you said you were employee number five, how large is the company now?
0: Yeah, today we've, we've grown considerably. We're over 500. I've lost count, uh, actually, because, uh, uh we continue to hire folks because of our, our scale up activities and, uh, we uh, just recently received a, a very large grant from the U.S. government, around 136 million dollars, um, with with the sole intent of scaling up our technology for vaccines uh, for, for for COVID. Mm.
1: Wow. So that that takes me in that takes me in a different direction. I mean, that that becomes extravagantly topical. Right. We keep hearing a lot, uh, you know, taking the politics out of it. We keep hearing a lot about the vaccine and and how close it is to coming out. And then how are we going to distribute it? I don't think I'd ever thought about. The packaging of it but obviously that's super important both from the standpoint that you need the packaging to be good strong solid not reactive packaging but also we're gonna need a lot of it because there's seven billion people around the world so let's talk a little bit about uh about what you guys are doing about getting ready for that what what what's involved if you get you know a multi-hundred million dollar grants what's what's involved with getting ready to you know help you know help vaccines get to everybody
0: yeah yeah we're we're actually in a, in a very good position, uh, which I think is why the the u s government um, identified us and and courted us. One is uh we've, there's been a, a bit of press around a shortage of glass, and as you said, I mean, if you're going to uh, vaccinate uh, billions uh, technically billions of people in the planet and of course hundreds of millions here in the states. Uh, with multiple doses, um, that's going to take a lot of containers. And uh, there are many glass companies that are in a sold-out position right now uh, with at least a year or more lead time on getting more glass. And, of course, you, we still have, uh, obviously, a very healthy biological drug market to sustain, not to mention the uh, the vaccines that hopefully will be coming on the market for, for COVID. So one is uh, we can add capacity very quickly. Um, in, in a very short period of time, uh, we've scaled up. Uh, we can add you know 40 million vials of capacity within a few months, uh, as compared to glass, where we could, could take a year or more to, to add that capacity online. Uh, additional to that, um, we have no dependence on the uh, supply chain of glass. So it's I, th- I think people are sometimes a bit confused. Like, okay, you got a glass coated container. Um, how is that possible? And, and the fact of the matter is we actually do not use uh, any raw material that are used in glass manufacturing. The raw materials we use are actually more uh, closely related to manufacturing of, of uh, microprocessors uh, in, uh, in computers and other microelectronic devices. And then I think the other thing is, of course, we're U.S. based and we're uh, we're here to supply and, and help. Uh, provide containers uh, here uh, for the for our U.S. Uh, consumers and uh, to get them out there as quickly as we can. Hmm.
1: So obviously you're you're in the middle of what is probably the, the the biggest health, the biggest health story in, you know, at least the past century. So, you know, going back to to young Chris, the chemical engineering Ph.D. student, is this where you thought you'd be?
0: Oh, no, Tom. <laughs> not, not, not anywhere close. I mean, I, I you know, as a chemical engineer by training, um, most chemical engineers are working out in, uh, in chemical manufacturing facilities uh, for manufacturing chemicals and plastics of all sorts. And I sort of took a very non-traditional path um, and I honed my skills uh, in a technology area that, are, that is probably not very well known to most. And that's in the area of of plasma technology, plasma coating technology. Uh, Again, uh, this is the technology that's used to make the microprocessors that are in a lot of our electronics. So I had a ton of experience in this area, applied it to a variety of applications, as I've told you, in solar encapsulation, building construction, food and beverages, and this was just another area where it was really ripe for the picking, and uh, and what had to be done was to adapt it to coat these fairly complex-shaped of uh, uh, articles, the vials and syringes and cartridges, and of course, there's a lot of engineering that's involved in in, in doing that. And so that was, my, as I said, that was my that was my job for the first four years, is to figure out how to do that and to demonstrate feasibility.
1: So I've got a couple more questions for you before I can let you go. But first, I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode, like all of them, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly, they take the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly, they set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. They do all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience and interviewing really cool people like Chris Weikert. Hey, if you want to start a podcast and I know I know that some of you do jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the special offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So, Chris, you have this eclectic career and, you know, four and a half, five years ago, you, you joined a company that was trying to develop a product. Now they're the products working. You're trying to sell it, getting that FDA approval, vaccinating, you know, carrying the vaccines essentially to the country and the world. What do you like most about the journey that you've been on the last four and a half, five years since you joined this company? What's what's been the most exciting part?
0: Yeah, well, of course, uh, innovating and developing something new has is, is always been thrilling, and that's kind of what's fueled me throughout my career, um, even when I was at Dow. You know, I always wanted to develop something new um, that uh, benefits humanity, right? So, so uh, innovation comes in all shapes and sizes, and I've, I've been lucky enough to touch uh, a lot of different products and, and had those launched into the marketplace over the years, including this one. Um, but, uh, but I also think there was, there was a point at this company where I really felt that we had some external validation, some, some, some real concrete validation that we were doing the right thing and the product really worked. And, uh, we had a, had a customer interaction, uh, was probably four years into the company. Um, we had, uh, uh, basically, showcase this to um, to a packaging company. In fact, we wanted them to take a look at it because we knew they had tried to do exactly what we were try- we were trying to accomplish many many years before. They would invested tens of millions of dollars in many years uh, trying to do what we were trying to do, and and they were unsuccessful. And I won't name the company, but we did meet with them. We shared our data with them, and I, at the end of the meeting, um, their chief scientist actually approached me and said, "You know, Chris." Well done. Uh, you, you've done it. We've we spent a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and uh, were, we're unsuccessful. It looks like you have developed something new and different, and I, I think this is really going to be a, a game changer. So For me, it was really, again, truly validation. We had something. We had something that worked, and uh, this was a springboard for our company at that point. And Then, at, again, at that point, we decided we had to scale this up and get it out there in mass production.
1: So what advice do you have for people who are, are coming up the corporate ladder, uh, who, who want to build something. They want to climb maybe to that, that C level position, what whatever that means. Uh, what advice do you have for for that 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 young up-and-comer?
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting because uh there's there's obviously so many different ways one could get here. I took a very non-traditional path, I I will say. So um I I think one of the things I'd recommend is um Make sure that uh, you find a, a good mentor throughout your career. It's so, so important. I had one from nearly the very beginning. And while they do change throughout your career, you need somebody to be that that sounding board to, to bounce ideas and, and your thoughts off of. That's absolutely critical. Um, and uh, you need an advocate. You need somebody who, uh, because you, you just don't do this alone. I mean, I, 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 I some people think, you know, you gotta navigate the storm by yourself that's not true. I mean, there, you always have people involved in your career and, um, uh, and, and you need those people to talk to. I think the other thing is to, especially in, in this business is to, to have uh, an, a sense of, of creativity. You gotta have to have good ideas and you need to bounce those off of, uh, of other people and to test them. And you're going to have failures. You, you actually have to get used to failure. You, you have to have a thick skin to it and, and, uh, it's okay. Fail and and try try again. I think that's that's a key to success.
1: Boy, there's two things that you touch on there that, that I that I wanna go deeper on. One is be willing to fail. I think that that is is so true. I mean, when I look back, there's been all kinds of things where I've been kicked in the teeth. And I think it's it's an old Chinese proverb, you know, uh, get knocked down six times, stand up seven or something like that. I forget the exact numbers. But, um, you know, what are some areas where you think people face failure that, that often derails people? What, what is some advice and some samples of of the types of failure people meet along their career?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, certainly it can it can come um, from from other folks just, uh, you know, basically saying it can't be done. Um, and, uh, you know, you're going to have naysayers. I mean, that's that's just a normal a normal uh, uh, experience throughout one's career. And then um, I think the the other thing is is just, you know, you know, keeping staying to the course, and, you know, making sure that, you um, you know, you're going to have to make adjustments throughout your career. You know, it, and, and uh, it's never a straight shot. You, you, you got to make course corrections. And I, as I told you, I never really thought I would be where I am today. I mean, that this is uh, and, I, and honestly, I don't think most people really uh, end up where they are. I mean, you know, obviously, when you're in college, I, mean, I, I knew people that changes changed their uh, uh, their, their subject matter uh, many, many times. And that's OK. I mean, I, I think you got to. Find what you're happiest with and what um, what you enjoy. And uh, you might be surprised what that is.
1: So the other thing you touched on that I wanted to go deeper on was mentors. That's something that people who listen to the show regularly know. I, I talk about it a lot and I always talk. I have two gentlemen who I've been their mentors for, God, eight years now. Uh, never intended to that they would be around that long i don't think they ever intended they would be around that long um i call them my fake sons um they've become friends with each other over the years they, they didn't know each other but they were both just out of college they had moved to austin texas uh, where i live uh through different circumstances i i met both of them randomly and then about the same time they both were like would you be my mentor and i was like i don't even know what that means but you're welcome to call me anytime you want, which is kind of what I've told people who've asked that. And fast forward eight years, they don't stop calling. And in fact, my wife invites them for father's day now. So, um, But what's interesting, one of them just sent me an article this morning uh, from the article was from Kevin Harrington, one of the original sharks on Shark Tank. And it was an article about the importance of having mentors. And I, I read through the article and the thing that sort of stood out to me that was in the article was, you know, it talked about you have to make it really easy for someone to be your mentor. And I thought, you know, that's really good advice, because the reason that Nick and Jake are the only two that are still around is some people, they just make it hard to help them. So what advice do you have for somebody who's looking for a mentor or has a mentor on, on, on how to be a how to be a good mentee?
0: yeah no it's, of course i I'm a mentor myself, and as I said, I think um, everybody needs one but um as far as a, a good one, I think you have to be very honest with them about uh, what not only what they're good at but what they need to improve upon and and believe me, everybody has things they got to improve upon in their career, and I think you have to just be very, very honest uh, with, with that person. So finding somebody who's willing to be honest with you and tell, tell you, um, what you, uh, what you need to prove on and what you need to uh, do to, to get better. And then to challenge you, um, to really kind of, you know, think about, is this really what you want to do? And if you do, how do you want to get there? And then, I think that the last thing really is having a, a clear goal and vision and uh, and to, to challenge you, uh, are you staying the course and uh, if there needs to be any course corrections? All these questions are are, are critical and uh, and then and then somebody just to just to bounce ideas off of. I think that's uh, that's that's also critical as well. so. And I I honestly, you got to kind of shop around a little bit to find somebody with all these qualities. Um, and I've done that and I found some really good ones. And uh, I think that anybody else would do the same.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. It's not it's not a one stop shop trying to find a mentor um, right. because you got to find somebody a who wants to do it and b who you gel with on so many different levels. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So before I let you go, I have a question I, I love to ask everybody who comes on the show. And, and that is when you look out into the business world, who do you look at? Who do you admire and say, wow, she or he, they make waves. They're doing it.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, there are a lot. I don't know if I could single out any one particular person. Um, I guess if I focus on this industry um, there are a number of, how, how should I say that I'll just focus on the companies and, and the people behind the scenes, uh, that are actually motivating. Uh, for instance, look at, uh, look at Moderna. I mean, they are paving the way, um, for, uh, the next generation vaccine for, um, uh, for, uh, COVID. And not only is this, uh, is this unprecedented? I mean, you think about it, it's, it'll be the first vaccine of its kind. So it's, it's, a uh, an a, a RNA-based uh, vaccine that has never been commercialized before. So I have a lot of respect and uh, and uh, really admire the folks that uh, are leading the charge here because this is this is uncharted territory. <laughs> and uh, and I, I I don't recall the, the chief scientist that is her name there, but um, but she's she's really um, a wonderful person and and really has uh, I, I think a clear vision of what they want to accomplish. Uh, And there are other companies. I'm just using Moderna as an example, um, because uh, because I think this is basically a springboard for, for a whole new class of vaccines and drug products based on this technology. So very, very exciting for the future of humankind.
1: So it's interesting. I was talking to someone the other day and I said, you know, as much as obviously we need to have this vaccine, we need to get past this pandemic and and get our economy and our lives back in order. I said, you know, the thing that keeps resonating in my mind that nobody's really talking about in the news is kind of what you just sort of said. And that is what else besides the vaccine is going to come out of all the research that's been being done, and, and I take this back to like the space race of the 1960s, right? That was the the beginning of our communications and our technology enterprises of the of the world of the business of, of high tech and of, of high end communication a lot of it spun out of the research of how do we send a man to the moon and get them back and then it it, it went off in all these different directions that we now call just tech what's going to come out i mean people are going to be researching something and it's not going to help with covid but it's going to solve something else i mean there's a lot of examples of drugs that were supposed to do one thing and they're like well look at that in the trial it does something else um you know, how do you think that all of this research that's happened the past seven months and, and will continue, at least for the next you know year or two? How do you think that's going to impact the the, the world of, of medicine?
0: Yeah, it, it's interesting because um, basically, when uh, before the the whole COVID pandemic hit, there were a lot of companies like Moderna and BioNTech and, and others that were working on this technology for a whole host of diseases. I mean, things like Alzheimer's and, and so on. And basically what they had to do is put a lot of those on hold and focus primarily on solving COVID. So I think once the COVID uh, vaccine is developed, they're going to shift back their resources on these other other uh, uh, vaccines and drug products. Um, to some very very difficult diseases that we still battle with today, I use Alzheimer's as an example. But there's there's other technologies. CAR T is another uh, you know, buzzword I think is in the in the industry. CAR T has been shown to uh, to address some some very aggressive uh, cancers, and um, and had some had some great success with with some of these hard to hard to treat cancers, and and um, and, and now they're shifting focus over to solid tumor. Uh, cancers. This, the the CAR T technology was more focused on things like non Hodgkin's lymphoma or cancer of the blood and things of that nature. Now solid tumors uh, are being trying to be addressed, which are which are actually even more difficult. So uh, there's uh, there's just so much to be um, uh, milked from this technology. Um, cell and gene therapy is is a hot topic right now, and a lot of companies are focusing on it. Um, to uh, to address some of these very very difficult and uh, and hard diseases, so I, I look forward to seeing that whole area of technology mature and develop over the next probably ten or twenty years.
1: Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and sharing so much of your story and 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 all that. If somebody wants to know more about you or about uh, SIO two material science, how do they find you?
0: Oh, well, we uh, we have a website um, online. They can get a, get a hold of. Uh, uh, of of myself. I think our contact information is on there and um, I, I obviously have a LinkedIn page. People can find me there and, and contact me. Resources. Uh, people can uh, learn more about the company as well as me. Awesome. Well, thank you again for
1: for being here and thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every single time. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we do the podcast? Uh, every Tuesday and Thursday, we release really interesting Uh, Interviews with people who are doing very interesting things and making waves in their industry. And I think today was another one of those examples. So make sure that you're always coming back. If you like the show, go tell a friend because everyone I find who listens to the show tells me they found it because somebody referred it to them uh, and we're still trying to grow the audience. So, you know, yeah, I'd love it if you'd go over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast love and leave one of those fancy reviews. That's awesome. But more important, go tell a friend. We're gonna be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Chris. And I know you're thinking, what? How will you find somebody that cool? You know, the guy is like a, a, a chemical engineer. But uh, we will. In the meantime, go out there, make your own waves, flex those entrepreneurial muscles. And while you're at it, have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger.
0: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.